Good evening. I don't know if you have a favorite Christmas movie that you're looking forward to getting on your telly. Uh, my, uh, my secret confession is that Miss, Mrs. Miracle is actually one of my favorite movies, but if you are asking me in public place, I'd definitely say Die Hard. I'm of the opinion that Die Hard <laughs> is, uh, is a Christmas movie. I know it's controversial. It may be that Home Alone is your favorite, um, or it may be that you reach for a sort of a, it's a wonderful life, or I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Um, but for me, Christmas is rarely complete without uh, some interpretation or other of uh, Charles Dickens' uh, Christmas Carol. Since becoming a dad, it's been particularly helpful because they have all sorts of reruns, don't they, where there's a, a guy who's a, uh, or, or even a woman who is a great business a success person, and uh, they're, they're always named a variation of Ebenezer or Ebby or something like that. And, uh, and suddenly the ghosts turn up and they transport them into a different universe and they get to see what it would be like rather than to be a family person, to be uh, driving a fast car and all the rest of it. And it shakes down. But the things that was most memorable for me in A Christmas Carol um, is, uh, is these things. Do you, do you remember these in Christmas Carol? The uh, character of uh, Jacob Marley. And he, uh, he is uh, the dead business partner of the sort of the anti-hero of the story. And he, uh, in, I guess in hell and torment, he drags around his chains with him. And then on the uh, night before Christmas, he appears to his Scrooge business partner and starts telling him how woeful his life is and how inadequate it is. And of course, that's not a very palatable message, is it? I was, uh, I was reading a quote from a very famous Christian uh, Bible teacher in America who only ever says positive things. And he says, I find I have lots of people coming to me because I only ever say positive things. And I'm like, well, no, no surprise there, is it? But here are Dickens just trows it on. And so my, my new uh, favorite Christmas movie of this year has been the uh, reinterpretation uh, called A Man Who Invented Christmas. Have you seen it? It's, it's a very movie. It's on the, on the uh, streaming players at the moment. And it's a story of how Dickens uh, came to write A Christmas Carol and the, the experiences he went through. And as I was watching it, I was minded, uh, thinking about, uh, well, can Dickens really be the man who invented Christmas uh, when uh, we spent a lot of time in church trying to persuade people it wasn't Santa Claus who in invented Christmas. Now, I got a feeling that Christmas might have something to do with Christ. And, of course, Dickens brings back some of the spirit of that. But Jesus told a story, which is one of the reasons that people still know about him 2,000 years on. And it, it felt very topical. It was about um, two brothers. And you may be uh, about to encounter your long-lost relatives for the first time in a long while. I know that uh, this Christmas Day I'll be meeting... Uh, my, both of my brothers on Christmas Day for the first time in 15 years. Um, and families don't always get together so much nowadays. But Jesus tells a story about two brothers who, who were sort of thrust together, and they were a rather unlikely pair. I'll call one of them Charlie and the other one Andy. And Charlie was the oldest one. He was the good boy. You know, he, he got things done. He was diligent. He was going to be the heir to the family fortune. And he just, um, you know, carried on pretty good life. He had his, if you like, his business suit on and best foot forward. Andy uh, had a sort of nickname that rhymed with his name and was a bit more wayward. And uh, he, was, he was more like, take the, take the jacket off, uh, take the tie off, and uh, go down to nightclubs. And, um, you know, he was sort of putting it all out there. Um, this is me putting it all out there, sort of dad dancing for the sake of my children. <laughs> and um, so Andy goes off to another land, uh, and before we even go there, he says to his dad, look, I am totally fed up with you, Dad. 
You are just a waste of space. Have you ever been their parents? Anyone ever heard those, those sort of words? You are a waste of space. If only you were dead, I'd have your money. There's a few parents who are like, yeah, this is my every Saturday, you know. I'd have your money. And the dad was like, what am I going to do with this brat? Um, all right, off you go. I can't control you. I can't hold you. Off you go. Here's your inheritance now. And the dad's there in disgrace. Like he's, it's a culture where you don't just let your kids go off and do this, but he's let his kid go off and do it. And, uh, and uh, Charlie boy, our, uh, our smart heir to the uh, fortune, he's pretty cross about this. He's a bit like, flip me, what have you let that little brat do this for again? This may be your Christmas dinner conversation with your parents. What have you let him do that for again? I slave over the business, I get things done, I make it all work, and you've let Andy go off and do his thing. Dad's tearing his hair out of this. But he hears reports that Andy's life's not going so well in a far-off country. So he's made it to uh, a place where there's a lot going, a lot of parties going on, but the money runs out, and as Eric Clapton once put it, no one knows you when you're down and out. Eventually, the money falls away. And he's uh, reduced to rooting through the bins for a feed. And he has a nostalgic moment, as any of us do at this time of year. And he says to himself, I wonder what would happen if I just knocked on the door underneath the wreath. Would he open it? Would he let me in? Or what if I said to him, look, I'm not worthy of coming into the house, but could you fix me up with a, a job in washing up in one of the kitchens of your businesses? Or, or doing a nighttime janitor work or sweeping up? At least get me on a minimum wage, Dad, and you'll never hear from me again. I'm not worthy to come in the house, but get, get me a minimum wage. And so he has an epiphany, and he thinks, well, I'll do this, and I'll grovel. And yeah, there he is. He's, uh, I won't do the full uh, Monty, but he's, he's not got his shirt done up anymore. He's not looking quite so smart. And he's sort of hovering. And you know when you're making your way back to those conversations with relatives that are just going to hurt you more than you can say, because you're going to have to swallow your pride. He's doing that. And there in the distance, he looks and he sees. And it's miles away. It's like, is that, could that, could that be? And then he sees coming towards him this man who looks years older than his father was when he left him just a year or so ago. This haggard, ashen-faced man who spots him. And then while he's still a long way off, his, his dad starts running towards him, and he's like, where, where do I hide? Then he sees his arms are open, and he's running towards him, and he's like, could it be? Could it possibly be? And he's swept up in this most incredible loving embrace. And you see, up to that point, our friend Andy's been bound up in chains of... Everything he ever wanted to do, being allowed to do it. 
There's a chain that binds a lot of us of just getting our own way. It's incredibly bad for us to get our own way in life, isn't it? I did it my way as often an appalling epitaph on someone's life. Probably a way of utter misery. And Andy's been tied up in these chains of I just got my own way and I did what I wanted. And I ended up with no one, lost and lonely. And as his dad hugs him, chains come flying off and his dad says, you were lost but now you're found. You're coming home for Christmas, son. And he gets a turkey, gets some beef, gets the whole lot, chucks it in the oven. He's got servants to do the hard work, so it's an easier job for him. And he says, it's a miracle. My son, whom was lost, has come home. But get this, there's another person in chains as well. Charlie Boy, the heir to the throne. He is angry as they come. Not just at his hedonistic brother, but also at his lame idiot of a father who squandered his money and let this little brat come home with no repercussions whatsoever. And he's so cross at his brother and his father and frankly life and it's not fair and I've been working hard. That his anger's tied him up in as many chains as Jacob Marley had in Scrooge's story. And he just doesn't know it. And so the punchline of the story is in sort of, it's like a cliffhanger episode at the end of a Netflix series. And the father comes to him and goes, Charlie, I had to kill the turkey and the cow. I had to throw a feast. Your brother who was dead is now alive. And we just don't know at the end of the story whether Charlie's going to be alive as well or whether he's going to hold on to his anger and his bitterness, his self-righteousness and his I'm all right, I did it my way attitude as well. It's like a cliffhanger. What would the ghost of Christmas past, present and future say to Charlie boy? You see, this Christmas time, some of us need to know a third brother the man who was telling the story himself. I don't know what your experiences are, how you would fit yourself into the story, whether you're the, the one who likes to go astray and do your own thing, or whether you're the one who's, if you're honest, a little bit self-righteous. Maybe you're a mixture of the two, or none of them. You may be the most amazing, wonderful people. <laughs> no guilt in your consciences whatsoever. Now, I can only tell you that for me, like for Nicole in her testimony, I've had to meet the third brother to find peace for me. Because it's not just the, the wayward one or the self-righteous one. There's also the sacrificial one. The one who gets down on his knees to people who are below his station and says, I'll, I'll wash your feet. The one who let people with leprosy touch him. The one who was born in a manger. The one who left heaven to live among us as a, a peasant and then a refugee in a foreign country in Egypt and then come back. The one who knew what it was like to be really humble. And then when he looked at people, he, he loved them. 
with a love that melted them through and through. I've spent years being one or other of those brothers. You'll have to ask my brothers which one they think I may stand. I'll give you the clue. I've still got the jacket on. But Jesus had a towel around his waist. And he fed the poor. And he healed the hurting. And he sets people free, both then and also in 2019. And if you, from time to time, feel like there are some chains in your life, some things you just can't get rid of, some habits, some patterns, some anger, some frustration, and it's sort of an emotional overflow, you're like, Wah! All I can say is that when you get encounter of his love, Something happens to these chains. They sort of warm up and then they break away. If I was really strong, I'd be able to demonstrate that for you. (laughs) But he is, you see, that's the thing. I'm not strong enough to break my own chains. But he takes them. And 33 years after what we celebrate on Christmas, he wraps our chains in a cross, in an action that cost him more than just his life. Emotional, physical torment. Spiritual anguish and distress. And on the cross, the little baby in a manger sets you and me and you and you and you and you as free as we'll let him to. And all we have to do is say, I'm sorry that I got bound up in chains. Please, would you forgive me? Thank you that you sorted it out with the cross. Help me to trust you now. I'm sorry. I thank you. Please help. And it all begins to change. May God bless his word to us today. Amen.